Well, thank you. Um, welcome. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining in with us today. And this is a privilege for me to be back. Um, last time I was here, so today it's like 70 degrees, which is a full 72 degrees warmer than it was the last time uh, that I was here. And so I'm thankful for the, the weather, but I'm more thankful just to be able to spend this time uh, with, with you that are here in the room and those of you that are online as well. I have a couple questions for you today. Uh, first question is, who would you like to see in heaven with you someday? And then second question, who do you think Jesus would like to see in heaven with you someday? They're good questions. Most of you probably like the first question a little bit better because you can think of a whole bunch of people that you actually like and enjoy that you would want to see and be able to celebrate heaven along with them. There are other people, though, that you know, you know Jesus has a heart for. Jesus has their eye on. And yet, maybe uh, they are not your favorite person. And yet, it's really important for us to consider both who you would like to see in heaven with you someday and who Jesus has in mind to be in heaven someday that maybe he would use you uh, to bring the people that you like and maybe even a handful that you have a hard time with along with you to eternal life in the presence of Jesus someday. I, I want to share three stories from the scriptures about God's heart for those who are far off. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, there's story after story after story about God's heart for those who are far away from him. And I believe that God uses me and you often, maybe most often, to display God's heart to people. And maybe God would use the stories that we're going to look at today from his word to maybe align a little bit more our hearts to his heart for people that are important to us, they're important to God too. And at the risk of being a little bit stupid at the beginning, um, I'd like to act out the first story from Scripture. Jonah, it's me, God. Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh, it's that way. The people there are doing some really disgusting, horrible things. And it's going to be bad news for them if they don't stop. So, Jonah, go and tell them to stop. Jonah, go. Are you talking to me? Wait, you're talking to me, God, because I don't really want to go to Nineveh, God. It's... It's disgusting there, and I don't like the people there. I mean, like Lady Gaga's from Nineveh, God. I don't, I don't want to go. Okay, no, I know I shouldn't argue with you. You're the big guy. No, no, I, I will go. It's that way. No, I will go. I will go. Trust me. No, go play in the clouds or whatever it is you do, and I will go. I need a ticket. Next boat out of here. Where's it going? Tarshish. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wait. I don't have any cash. I don't have shekels. Do you take 
Apple Pay, Venmo. Can I? Oh, no, thank you for the ticket. Oh, wait, the boat's already leaving. Oh, my goodness. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, Jonah, is it? Yes, it's Jonah. Okay, well, I just need you to get down in the boat. Should be smooth sailing the whole way. Okay, here we go. This is a pretty crummy boat, but uh, uh, anywhere other than Nineveh is probably good. Take me to Tarshish. Maybe I get a little nap on the way. Oh, my goodness. Oh, can you keep it steady, please? I'm trying to get some sleep down here. Oh, what is going on? Oh, my goodness. There's a crazy storm going on right here. What is happening? Well, we've been praying to our gods, and it's not doing anything. So maybe you should try yours, and maybe it'll stop. That's probably a good idea, because you see, I serve the God who made this whole ocean right here, and uh, he's pretty ticked off at me right now. <laughs> maybe you just chuck me overboard, and everything will be okay. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe they did it. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. That's a big fish coming my way. Oh. Oh, no. Oh. oh, my goodness. I've been swallowed by a fish. Oh, it's a stanky fish, too. Okay. God, please, please forgive me. I, I, I should not have run from you, God, but you have got my attention. Please forgive me for running. Forgive me for... This horrible accent, uh, just, just forgive me. God, get me out of here and I will, I will go. I will go to Nineveh. Fish, puke him up. Okay. Nineveh's that way, God. I will go. And he goes. He heads off to the place called Nineveh that was really historically recorded as a, a miserable city. There wasn't a God thought going through the brain of anybody in the city. And there was good reason that Jonah didn't like those people. It was more than just cultural. Some historians record that the streets of Nineveh were lined with dead bodies, 10, 12, 15 high in the gutters from the rape and the murders and just the outright sin that was going on in their city. And that's what really was breaking the heart of God to see that going on amongst his creation. And so he sends Jonah. And Jonah brings a message of God, of repentance to these people. And God relents. God's compassion is unloaded on these people. Now, if you continue to read through the entire story of Jonah, as many of you had, the story ends kind of weird. Jonah's ticked off about it. Jonah knows that God is slow to anger, abounding in love, and he knew that God does this sort of thing. That's why he didn't want to go and allow God to work through him in the first place. But God is 
inclined toward bringing those who are far off back to him. God is, is for all sorts of people. People that I like, and he's even for and pursuing people that I don't like or I don't understand. God has been pursuing you. You, you can look back on a season in your life like we just heard where God pursued you and it became clear and obvious but I think God pursues us all in different ways. But one of the most powerful ways that he pursues us is through, through other people that have the heart of God for people. You know God's heart is to bring people who are far away from him close to him. A couple verses real quick. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, the promise to come back for his own. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, someday we're going to be in the presence of God if we've got a relationship with Jesus. Someday we're going to be in heaven together, and what an amazing experience, a mind-blowing experience that's going to be. I don't know that I can barely even begin to comprehend what that's going to be like. But I can tell you I can't wait for it. But then there's days where I'm thankful that this is true, that, that God's just being patient. I, I wish he'd come back and kind of wrap this thing up and game over, but then I go, wait a minute. There are people who I love who don't know the Lord. And this time that he's given us, I should be doing something with it. It's Jesus' heart was to bring people who are far off back to God. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, classic verse from scripture on hearing this, Jesus said to these people that he's talking to, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It echoes this idea that the heart of God is to bring people who are far away from him in close. People whose sin has really separated them from God. Jesus came to solve the sin problem and cinch up the gap. And how might he use you? People that are important to you. People that you love. How might he use you to reach them with the good news of who Jesus is? How might he use you? to be a part of the story that God uses to get them in a relationship with Jesus and into eternal life with Jesus? How might he use you to reach people that may not be important to you, but are very important to God? I mean, stop and think about it for just a second. When it comes down to us, every single one of us, we're far off from him. None of us are really deserving of his love or his time or his attention. The sacrifice of him going to the cross for us, and yet he's pursued us with his love anyway. And he's brought us in close. 
And my goodness, for those of you that already have a relationship with Jesus, and please listen today. Please listen to the heart of God saying, hey, my heart is to bring people who are far off in close, and I might want to use you along that journey to reach other people who are still far off. If you yourself are listening today, and maybe you yourself are far off, don't miss it. God's been pursuing you for a very, very long time. And his heart is not to leave you where you're at, but his heart is to bring you in close. And maybe he's positioned some people around you in your life that reflect a little bit of what Jesus' heart is to you. It's because God's using them to speak to you and communicate to you, hey, I love you, and I don't want you to be distant. I want you to be in close. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Mark and go to chapter two, Mark chapter two, right at verse one, because there's a story that we want to take a look at today, the second of the three stories. First is Jonah. The second one is this here. It's a moment early in the gospel of Mark, and at this point, Jesus has showed up on the scene. Jesus gave up heaven to become like one of us in pursuit of us. He's already displayed authority that he has over the spiritual realm, casting out demons. He's displayed authority that he has to heal the sick and the lame. He's displayed authority in his teaching. And now we're gonna see the authority that Jesus has is also the authority to forgive people of their sins. In essence, he's got the authority to bring the people who are farthest away from him in close to remove the sin that separates. And it's a familiar story, and it's kind of a fascinating one. If we read through it together, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you picture this for just a second? Picture it with me. See, Jesus has done some miracles already, and the word has spread. And the word spread so much that people hear Jesus now in town, and they want to hear him teach. They also want to see if he might perform some more miracles. There's a huge crowd that has showed up. And as with any crowd, there's a diverse spectrum of the needs or the expectations that people have of Jesus in the crowd. We don't really know why they're all there. Maybe it's just for a show. Maybe it's because they do sense that there's something special and unique about Jesus they want to learn about or experience in him. We, we don't know. There's a huge crowd. And Jesus is inside a house, and he's teaching, and the crowd has gathered. It's filled out the house, 
and then it's filled out around the house, and then it's filled out the circle around that. Well, just the word that Jesus has come gets on the radar of a handful of guys. And these guys have a friend who's paralyzed. And at this moment, I mean, picture it for just a minute. Their buddy is laying there on the ground, probably on a mat of some sort already. And one of the guys goes, hey, Bob, I got an idea. Yeah, what's your idea? We're gonna take you to Jesus. Well, I mean, I can't fight you. I can't say no. I mean, I can't even move. So whatever you wanna do. And they pick him up. And the four guys haul their buddy on this mat all the way to where Jesus is to discover that Jesus is barricaded by layer after layer after layer of people. And yet that doesn't stop them. Houses then were, were made mostly of, of stone, um, mud, sticks, and especially the rooftops were made of something called thatch. And thatch would take sticks and weave them together and then layer that between layers of mud and then it would eventually harden. That was the rooftop. And the staircases in houses were typically on the exterior of the home rather than the interior. And so it's most likely that they got there and they looked at the crowd there's probably one or two of the friends that went, gosh, uh, now what do we do? And then the other guy that started the whole idea in the first place, well, we're not giving up now. I got an idea. And the paralyzed guy's like, oh, great, here we go. And they make their way through the crowd. They sneak up the exterior staircase, and now they've got to figure out, where is Jesus? We don't want to go you know, drop in Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible style, in the wrong location. We got to get right above Jesus. Okay, I think he's right about here. And then they begin to dig a hole through the roof. A significant enough hole to get a man who's paralyzed on a mat through. And now picture it. Jesus is inside delivering the word. Teaching from the scriptures. Talking about the gospel. Talking about the coming kingdom of God. And then a big dirt clot hits him in the head. And he looks up. And here's four guys peeking through a hole. Hi. Hey, you guys. It would have been a terrible distraction. And yet Jesus welcomed it. And they dig through and then they lower him down, which he's paralyzed. Why didn't they just drop him? I mean, <laughs> they know what's going to happen. But they had some, one of them had enough engineering ability to go, okay, well, if we rig the rope this way or we kind of lower him down, we'll position him in the right place here. And they do. They get the man right down in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus looks on them. He looks on this man. And he looks on the friends. And what Mark records here is that when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, plural. Do you know that it took faith of all five of them? Jesus could see the faith that all five of these guys had. He could see their faith because it was a faith that was in action. 
He, he could see their faith because Jesus, being very nature God, can see our hearts. Do you know that Jesus can see the condition of your heart today? He can see the depth of faith that you have whether it is a deep, deep well, or you feel like you've got faith of maybe just the size of a mustard seed, it's not very much at all from your perspective, God can see it. And he could see the faith of the four friends, but then he turns and he says to the paralyzed man, son, that would have been a beautiful moment to have Jesus identify with you in a family sort of designation. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus saw something in the faith of the paralyzed guy that included a, a repentant heart. He saw something in the heart of the paralyzed guy that was there not just for the physical healing, but that the faith of the paralyzed guy was there. For the physical, I'm sure, but also because somewhere in his heart, probably even without a language to describe it yet, he had a repentant heart, a heart that hoped and trusted that if anybody could do anything for him, not just physically, but spiritually, in his heart, in his soul, it was Jesus. There's so much that goes on in this story. There's just three things, at least three, that I want to draw your attention to. The first two, I'd kind of like to group together. The, this one here, um, these friends were willing to carry a heavy load for the benefit of their friend. They were willing to carry a heavy load for the benefit of their friend. And then the second one is similar. They didn't let crowds or obstacles stop them. You know, we could probably phrase those statements as questions just for a moment of some evaluation in your own heart or your own life with regard to people in your life that are important to you. Are you even open or willing to carry any sort of load for a friend? Are you willing and open to uh, have God use you to help carry a load for someone else that they may not be able to carry themselves? Are you willing to kind of overcome some of the obstacles and the challenges that might come with loving or sharing the gospel or even quite simply just inviting someone to come along with you in your faith journey. In their day, a lot of diseases brought uh, some stigma with them. A lot of diseases were seen, honestly, as some judgment of God on a person. And oftentimes, people who faced various types of diseases were ostracized. They were pushed onto the outside. And again, what's God's heart? It's not to leave people on the outside. It's to bring them on the inside. 
And these friends, I love that the paralyzed man had some friends. That says an awful lot about the friends right there because in a culture that said, well, there might be something unclean or weird or some odd component of God's judgment on you, we're not really sure. We probably shouldn't be hanging out with you. We probably shouldn't associate with you. They carried a heavy load of their friend. When their friend didn't have the ability themselves to get to Jesus, they helped. And then when they started to help and hit some obstacles, they were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to sacrifice uh, the association with someone like that. They were willing to sacrifice the time, some energy, uh, when, when they hit an obstacle with the crowd, with the roof, they didn't give up. They pushed past the stigma. They pushed past uh, what it would require of them sacrificially because they had faith that Jesus could do something for their friend. And they got him there. The third is they got creative in how they got them there. They got creative. They hit the obstacles. They pushed through that, and they got creative. They they go, oh, my goodness, we got a paralyzed guy here. we got a paralyzed friend here. I'm hoping and praying Jesus can do something for him. I don't know quite what to do. Do you know what to do? No, I don't really know what to do. Well, let's just try to get him closer to Jesus. Okay. They just took it a step at a time. Oh, let's, let's push through the crowd. Oh, let's climb up on the roof. Oh, let's dig through the roof. Oh, let's lower him down to Jesus. Whatever steps are necessary, they were willing to do. What a, what a beautiful picture. They started with the physical needs of their friend. You know, friends that are important to you, family members that are important to you who maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus right now, they've got some physical needs. Do you know that's always a great place to start? And your ministry to them, just like these friends, I don't know how much the friends had in mind the spiritual component that Jesus had in mind. But they just started with, well, you're paralyzed, and so I think Jesus can do something about that. You and I have friends that God has their sights on, and they've got financial needs. They've got relational friendship needs. They've got some service help-oriented needs. They've got any number of physical needs, and and you and I can be used of God to, to minister to them physically. That's a great start for the people who are important to you or the people who are important to God. How can you just help them physically? That often builds a bridge then for what God can do. I've got a friend that I've been ministering to since kindergarten who still is not a follower of Jesus. And so now for over 40 years, I've been praying for my friend and communicating with my friend, befriending him. When the opportunity comes, then we do have conversations, spiritual conversations. 
But the heart change that's gonna be required is something that only Jesus can do. And so I befriend him, I serve him, I love him, I keep praying for him. And then it's God's job to do the rest, right? I've got another friend, a dear, dear friend of mine for the last 10 years or so who lives a lifestyle that I don't always understand. And I love him dearly. And so I befriend him and I pray for him and we have conversations and I encourage him and I serve him as I have opportunity to. And then whatever God wants to do in and through that relationship that would bring healing to his heart and salvation to his soul, that's God's job. So the reality is everybody's got some sort of physical needs, but you know as well as I do that the physical needs of people are not the greatest needs of people. The spiritual needs that people have, those are the greatest. And those are the things that Jesus is interested in, and he's the only one that can fix our spiritual need. Give us a brand new heart. Forgive us from our sin. So while the friends here made a valiant effort, Jesus is the one who made the greatest effort, right? Jesus is the one that led the way on bringing people that he loves in close. And third story, he did that on the cross. See, Jesus came, he took on flesh, gave up heaven to become like one of us in every way and yet was without sin. And then he did ministry here on earth some 2,000 years ago. The ministry caused such a stir and his teaching caused such a stir and his claims that he was very nature God landed him in trouble to the point where he was put through a false trial and they decided that he needed to be executed for claiming to be God. Now the night before he's led to the cross, Jesus takes some of his friends with him to a garden to pray. And as they are there praying, Luke records that Jesus began to sweat blood. It's a medical condition called hematidrosis and all it means is that when you get super stressed out, your body produces chemicals that break down the blood vessels in your sweat glands so that when you sweat, blood comes out with it. It also makes your skin, skin extremely sensitive to the touch, like the worst sunburn you've ever had. This is the condition of Jesus' skin as he goes into the beating and the crucifixion some hours later. You talk about the effort of Jesus, the pursuit of Jesus for his friends. He's beaten, he's flogged. Flogging, the Roman soldiers would take a flog handle with leather straps coming out the end, buried into the end of the leather straps with chunks of rock and metal and debris. And they'd whip you, lash you with that over and over again. The body of Jesus was ripped to shreds. His blood is, is leaking out all over the place. And yet he's going the extra mile for me and you. He's volunteering for this mission. It's time to crucify him. They walk him up to the place 
of the skull, Golgotha, where he's gonna be crucified. And the effort that he makes for us on, on our behalf is just mind-blowing to me. They, they nail the cross together, and then it's time to nail Jesus to the cross. They pull an arm out as far as it will go and drive a spike through the wrist. Probably not the hand. When they started crucifixion, they'd pierce through the hand, but they found that the bones in your hand are too small and too fleshy, wouldn't support the weight of the person on the cross. So they drive it through the wrist. You got two big bones in your arm here, the radius and the ulna, and if you can pierce right through there, it would support the weight of the person on the cross. The problem is you got a major nerve that runs through your wrist there, sends feeling out to your fingertips. The pain that Jesus experienced as that spike goes through his wrist would be something like taking a pair of pliers, clamping down in that nerve in your elbow that you hit real bad on stuff sometimes, and twisting. They drive that into the wood. They drive a spike through his feet into the wood. Then they would upright the cross. There was a hole that would support the weight of the cross. As the cross would find its way into the hole, the person on the cross, typically their shoulders would be separated from their sockets. And there Jesus hangs on the cross. And now to fill his lungs with air, he's got to push up off that spike in his feet to fill his lungs with air and then collapse back down again. You can't pull up with your arms with your shoulders separated from their sockets. I don't describe this to be dramatic or disgusting. I describe this, though, because, one, it's a horrendous picture of where our sin can take us. And, two, it's the most beautiful picture in all of history of just how much our God loves us just what he would go through to pull those of us who are far off in close. Do not tell me that you are not worth it from God's perspective. You aren't unworthy. You are tremendous, tremendously worthy. And so are the people that are important to you. And there's a whole bunch of other people that are very important to God, even if they're not important to you. Please, let's not minimize the person and the work of Jesus on the cross by not going after the people that he loves, not serving them the way that he served us. You are the light of the world. If you've got a relationship with Jesus, then you're an ambassador for Christ. And so for me, just to be generous with my love and my invitations and my service, be active in my faith to the people that God has positioned around me that are important to me, that I do want to see in heaven someday, knowing that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only real source of life. Nobody gets to the Father except through Jesus. But you know as well as I do that God might use you as someone's friend to be a tangible Jesus to get them to the presence of the real Jesus. When I was in high school, we'd been to church off and on, and I had a beginning of an understanding of a, who Jesus was, a beginning of a relationship with Jesus. But 
Um, you know, I, honestly, it was probably 15 years old before I really came to know Jesus. And I came to know Jesus through a friend. We moved from Long Beach, California to Lake Arrowhead, California. And when I got to high school, this new school, I didn't know anybody. About my third week in Spanish class, a kid sitting right behind me named Rod tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, hey, I know you're new. Do you go to church anywhere? And no was the answer. But he didn't know that I'd been processing it and my family was starting to look. And God used the invitation of Rod not only to get me to church, but to get me to Jesus. God used Rod's invitation quite simply to lead me to Jesus who transformed my heart and my life that also led me into ministry. Rod had no clue when we're both 15-year-olds sitting in a Spanish class what God had in mind for me, and Rod didn't need to know. Rod just needed to be faithful to love me enough to reach out, to love me enough to invite me. Now, a lot of people that you know need that simple invite. Maybe it's to church. Maybe it's to Easter. Maybe it's just to your home. Maybe it's to coffee. Maybe it's just a conversation. There are some people that are searching for God right now, and maybe he would use you in their search. There are other people that are really far off from God. Maybe you're thinking about some people today who are important to you, who you love deeply and you know that God loves them deeply. They just don't know it yet. Can I encourage you a little bit? Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. Because Jesus is always in pursuit mode. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, there were two criminals being crucified with him that day, one on either side of him. One didn't want anything to do with him. The other one turned to Jesus and said, I know who you are. I know that you're the son of God. I know that you didn't do anything wrong and you don't deserve to be up here. I know you're the Messiah, was the confession really of his heart. And Jesus turned to this guy and said, surely today you're gonna be with me in paradise. Can I give you just a little bit of encouragement for those that you love, that are important to you in your life, who don't want much to do with God or keep stiff-arming your invitation? Please know that even with Jesus, the last minute still counts. Don't give up on them, because Jesus hasn't given up on them. What was that criminal gonna do for the kingdom of God? What was that criminal gonna do to try to earn his salvation, which you can't earn? Nothing. This guy was gonna die. But Jesus, even the last minute, still counts.
But the reality is, there's a reason most of us don't die right after we're rescued by Jesus. It's because he's got something for you. And he's got something for those people who are important to you or those people that are important to God. He's got some heaven waiting someday for them. And he's got some heaven now sorts of moments in their heart that he could use you in that journey. Would you be praying about maybe the one person that you need to befriend, invite, or serve in the next week or two? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this truth of your heart for those that are far off. Thank you that you pursue us and you do everything that's necessary to bring us close to you. Lord, we lift up to you people right now that you have brought to mind that are important to us. And we ask, Father, that you would uh, give us the courage, the opportunity, the right words at the right time to serve them, to love them, or actually invite them or talk to them about Jesus. Pray that you would give us your heart for people that we like and people that maybe we have a challenge with. Help our heart line up with your heart. Someday, God, when we get to heaven and we look around and we see all those people that you were pursuing, that you chased down and tracked down and pulled in close, would you allow us the privilege of looking around and noticing a few that you used us to reach along the way? We thank you that you are so good to us and so patient with us. We thank you for every single person that's here in this room and those that are watching online the love that just keeps on chasing. In Jesus' name we pray.